Bishop Earl and I discuss the final two wives of Joseph Smith's plural wives next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. We've been presenting Joseph Smith's plural wives from time to time, given each of their individual stories of, of how he chose and, and proposed plural marriage to each one, and too often, of course, included coercion and false promises of godhood and salvation <laughs> for the brides and their families were also promised. And we're, we've all, almost finished yeah, with the known, the last two, two yeah. the, of the known plural wives, meaning 33 of them that have enough documentation to assure that they were actually plural wives. Today we finish with the 32nd wife, Nancy Maria Winchester, and his 33rd wife, Fanny Young. And as always, we use the excellent work of Todd Compton's historical book entitled In Sacred Loneliness. And he has, of course, is a Mormon historian and has documented all of this information. Uh, Lots of footnotes, lots of references to prove what he's written about these women. So we're going to begin with Nancy Maria Winchester's story. She's one of the three very young teenage girls that Joseph Smith married. Uh, Flora Woodworth was 16. We talked about her a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Helen Mark Kimball was only 14. And Nancy Winchester was also only 14 or just barely turned 15 when they married 37-year-old Joseph Smith. Now, there is ample proof that Nancy was a plural wife of Joseph Smith. There's poorly documented information on the circumstances surrounding her marriage and for the rest of her life. Nancy Marie was born in Erie, Pennsylvania in August of 1828, and she was the fourth of six children and the only girl in the family. And when she was four years old, two Mormon missionaries came to Erie County preaching their new Mormon doctrine, and the Winchester family believed, and they were soon immersed into this new Mormon culture. They moved to Kirtland in early of 1834. She had two brothers, uh, Stephen and Benjamin, who became very active very quickly, and they achieved high prominent positions in the early years of the Mormon church. Benjamin was ordained an elder, and the Winchesters also soon became close friends of the Heber C. Kimball family in Kirtland. Well, Nancy Marie was baptized, Nancy Maria was baptized probably in April uh, or in August of 1836 when she turned eight years old. In 1837, the Winchesters moved to Missouri and were neighbors of the Kimball family there, but there were problems in Missouri. Yeah, Todd Compton writes this in Sacred Loneliness, page 606. But they found themselves in the middle of the Mormon War. Stephen served as a Danite and fought in the Battle of Crooked River on October 25th, Apostle David Patton was carried to the Winchester home to die after being wounded at that battle. On October 30, uh, Stephen was taken prisoner by the mob militia, but was released. And Stephen was her brother. Now, I think it's important to take a little sidestep here. I don't usually do that in these stories. I'm glad we are with this one, though. It's a (laughs) good story. I think we need to do that. Uh, There's something interesting about David Patton, because... Uh, he is the subject of one of Joseph Smith's many false prophecies, um, and one of them is about him, and we find it in Doctrine and Covenants 114. Yeah, verse 1. 
Verily thus saith the Lord, it is wisdom in my servant David W. Patton that he settle up all his business as soon as he possibly can, and make a disposition of his merchandise, that he may perform a mission unto me next spring, in company with others, even twelve, including himself, to testify of my name and bear glad tidings unto the world. Okay, so we have a prophecy there. He said, Thus saith the Lord, didn't he? he? Did. Okay, so he had a prophecy, made that prophecy April 17th in the spring of 1838. David Patton died the following fall in October. He never went on the mission the following spring because he was dead. And God would have known <laughs> if, if Patton, uh, David Patton was going to die the, before the following spring. So the prophecy could not have been given by God. Yeah, read uh, this in Deuteronomy. Yeah, and this is, this is a backup statement for what I just said. Yeah. Chapter 18, 20 through 22. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Now, the Bible is always focusing on, on, on protecting us on a spiritual level, and it gives warnings and wisdom to those who will heed its message. It clearly explains that a person gives only one prophecy that fails, just one. The, prophes the prophet is false, and he needs to be ignored and rejected. And this is very clearly a false prophecy about Patton. He died in the home of the family of one of his future plural wives, never having been able to fulfill Smith's attempt at future telling. <laughs> now the Winchester family left Missouri in 1839 and settled in Illinois and in March of 1842 Maria's mother Nancy is listed in the Relief Society minutes as being accepted into the Relief Society and she donated 50 cents which is probably a goodly sum <laughs> in those days. The Relief Society was a very prestigious group in early Mormon days, so we know that the family was among the Mormon elite. And elitism seems to be very important to Mormonism then and now. It, uh, yes, it is. And in polygamy groups as well. On May 27th of 1842, Nancy herself was admitted into the Relief Society. She would have been very young. It was approximately during that time that she married Joseph Smith. Our best evidence is historian Andrew Jensen, who lists Maria Winchester as one of Smith's wives. In addition, Orson Whitney, the son of Nancy Maria's best friend Helen, also identified her as a Smith wife. Though there is no date for her marriage, the best hypothesis is that the ceremony took place in 1843, since the last recorded marriage of Joseph Smith was November 2nd, 1843. Which was just a few months before he was killed. Yeah. That he's, so he was taking wives up to then. <laughs> uh, and Nancy would have been 14 or 15 years old when she became his 32nd wife. And nothing more is known about the marriage itself. It, like we say, soon after that, he was killed in June of 1844, and then Nancy became a young widow, one widow among many. Yeah, and Todd Compton continues, Some evidence suggests that she never lived or cohabitated with him, so the dynamics of their relationship can only be guessed at. One wonders why he would marry her, thus preventing her from marrying another man, than not cohabit with her. Whatever her status was as a wife, 
of Heber, she had no children by him. However, in the months following the marriage, he frequently visited the Winchester house and noted these visits in his journal. Now he's talking about her marrying Heber, Heber, Heber Kimball. Right. And, and as we've said before, several of Joseph Smith's widows married either Heber C. Kimball or Brigham Young. <laughs> Now, the Winchesters crossed the plains in 1849. Nancy would have been 20 years old. And in 1850, the Salt Lake City census shows that she was 21 years old and she was living at home with her parents in the 17th ward in Salt Lake City, wherever that's at. By 1865, she had married, uh, had separated from her marriage right. with Heber C. Kimball and married a man by the name of Amos Arnold, a man who had moved to Utah from New York. Now, strangely enough, according to the Arnold family tradition, <laughs> the marriage was arranged, that her marriage to Arnold was arranged by her plural husband, Heber Kimball. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> himself. <laughs> Todd, said, Todd Compton says this, a note on a family group sheet tells us Nancy Maria Winchester was sealed to the prophet on 3 February 1846 in the Nauvoo Temple and married to Heber C. Kimball for life. But she never lived with Mr. Kimball as his wife, and he asked Amos George Arnold to marry her so she could become a mother and promised him that he would later have the opportunity of marrying a younger wife. So there's those promises again. It's always women that's the commodity. Um, this so. marriage did produce a child, George Stephen Arnold, who was born in December of 1867 when Nancy was 39 years old. However, despite the joy that the child would have brought her, the childbirth experience left Nancy in poor health, and her health deteriorated until March 1876, where she died at the age of 47 in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. She left very little information um, for a historical legacy. Now on page 608, it says, Not a trace of her personality remains in written documents. One can only wonder what a memoir of her three marriages might have told us. Did she feel any attachment to Joseph Smith, or was the marriage purely dynastic? Did she feel depressed and rebellious like Flora and Helen Marr? Why did her marriage to Heber C. Kimball fail, or never really begin? Unless further Winchester family documents come to light, we are not likely to ever know the answers to these questions. And they are questions, you know. But right now we have to be mythbusters <laughs> here bringing attention to those who justify early Mormon polygamy uh -huh. as being to help widows and orphans. That's true. 14-year-old Helen Marr Kimball and Nancy Winchester were not widows and they were not orphans when Joseph Smith took them as plural wives. He was 37 years old, almost three times older than those two girls. So there's no justification for that kind of perversion. Today we would call it robbing the cradle or pedophilia. Yes, we would. The last plural wife was Brigham Young's older sister, Fanny Young. Interesting story here. It is an interesting yeah. story. She was Brigham Young's older sister by 13 years, and at the time of her marriage to Joseph Smith, she had been widowed twice and was 56 years old, and he was only 37. So the, the age switch there yeah. is going on. And again, we see odd behaviors and practices in these plural marriages. Now, Fanny was his last well-documented plural wife. Her marriage to Joseph Smith is documented by letters and by mention of his name in, of, of the marriage in the memoirs of Helen Mark Kimball, who Fanny helped to raise. And Joseph Smith married Fanny and Helen Marr, <laughs> both mm, of them. Yes. Now, Fanny was born in Massachusetts in 
November of 1787 in a small town just 25 miles southwest of Boston. Her father had been an Episcopal Methodist and later became a Reformed Methodist. And Fanny's mother, who was also devoutly religious, uh, was was more than likely uh, Fanny herself also being religious, being raised in um, a, a religious home. So they were probably all devoutly Methodist. Mm-hmm. Now remember, she's Brigham Young's older sister. Now that gives us pause to wonder how it can be that people who are raised in a Christian faith like the Methodist is, and then turn around and so fanatically embrace the false gospel of Joseph Smith, which blatantly contradicts the <laughs> biblical record. Um, and, and you know, they, they, it, he mentions more than once in some of these wives how, how they were raised in a religious home yeah. under a Christian faith. And, of course, the Christian faith uses the Bible uh-huh. as their standard. You so. Question. The, yeah, Question you the would think new they would. Religion. Yeah. You would think they would, but they didn't. In November of 1800, their father purchased 50 acres of land for $50 in Vermont. Now, that was probably a lot of money then, but it sounds like a good deal now, <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Sure does. This was where Brigham Young was born, and because of the mother's illness and her fragility, um, his older sister Fanny took the responsibility of taking care of and raising her younger brother, Brigham. And now we're going to just move forward to Fanny's age of 18 years old. Yeah, when she was 18 years old on May 5th, 1806, Fanny married Robert Carr. Unfortunately, the marriage was not happy. Family traditions characterized Carr as unfaithful and a profligate. Apparently, the union produced no children. So she was 27 years old, Fanny was, when her mother died. And and that fall, she left her, her prolific <laughs> husband, however you say that word, and moved into her family home, and they moved to New York. Fanny is said to have been as a mother to the rest of the children after she moved back home because her mother had passed on, and she also helped out with the Kimball family. We know little of Fanny specifically until 1827, when a number of Youngs were living in New York. Since the Young and Heber C. Kimball families were very close, sometimes Fanny lived with the Kimballs. Probably to help Violet, who was somewhat sickly and needed assistance with household chores and tending children. So she was helpful with that, um, having a great maternal instinct, no doubt. On August 22nd of 1828, Helen Mar Kimball was born to Heber and Vallette, and Fanny was living with the Kimballs at the time. Helen later wrote this. Called her Aunt Fanny Young, took care of me, and she was always ready to defend me if necessary. Aunt Fanny had been a great reader, and I was named by her after the Scottish lady Helen Marr. So Aunt Fanny named, named Helen, Marr. Helen Marr Kimball, and I was kind of curious about that, so I looked it up. I Googled, yeah. uh, and I found out there's a book entitled Scottish Chiefs, which was published in 1810, and a character in that book was called Lady Helen um, Marr. So that's where she got her name. I thought it was interesting. Anyway, Helen wrote that she loved Brigham, Joseph, and Fanny more than she loved her own relatives. In April of 1830, the young family received the Book of Mormon. They read it. They believed it was true. Fanny said it was a revelation. 
Well, she couldn't have known her Bible very well, and this goes back to being raised in a Methodist home. Yeah. Why didn't she know her Bible well enough to know uh, that, uh, that she could have believed the Book of Mormon was a revelation? If it was a revelation, it wasn't one from God, mm -hmm. that's for sure. And we should also keep in mind that the Book of Mormon can contains hundreds of verses and passages that were <laughs> lifted from and plagiarized from the King James Bible. So obviously there would be some familiarity. Yes. there with yeah. those lifted verses. But God will not change his status. He, don't, he doesn't change his salvation, his requirements, his integrity, or his character, which is what Mormonism does to the biblical revelation of God and of his gospel. So Fanny next gave it, I assume the Book of Mormon, to her baby brother Brigham, and the course of Mormon and Western American history was thereby changed. And it was, because Brigham was a very important person <laughs> yes, in he was. early Utah Mormonism, for sure. And he had 55, 56 wives. So. Well, Fanny married her second husband, and he was 62 years old, and she was 44. And their marriage was seemingly a happy one, according to all accounts. He was the father of... Heber C. Kimball's wife, so it's still all in the family. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> the family had investigated Mormonism, and by 1832, they were ready to formally, formally um, enter into this new religion. Now, the Kimball family and the Young family became members, and many of them were baptized. And sometime in 1833, Fanny and her husband moved to Kirtland. Joseph Smith, by then, is receiving frequent revelations, and the New Mormon Church was gradually developing into a large organization abounding in highly secretive activities like plural marriage. <laughs> yeah, on page 614, one imagines Fanny living amongst the extended young Kimball structure of relatives, coming to know Eliza Snow, Zena, and Presendia Huntington, and other Mormon women who one day would form the Mormon female hierarchy and be sister wives. And of course, you know, we talked about the Relief Society in, in the, the previous right. plural wife, and yet most of the women in the Relief Society were secret wives to Joseph Smith, and most of the others didn't know the others were. Amazing. And Emma was, of course, head of the Relief <laughs> right. Society, and she didn't know, and she didn't know no. either. So it, it was really something. In February of 1835, uh, Brigham Young and Heber Kimball became apostles. So now family, was, uh, or Fanny is closely related to two men who were central and powerful in Mormonism. And again, this elitism comes out in some of these stories that yeah. if, if you're that close to important people, then you're really somebody. In 1838, the majority of the Mormons uh, left Kirtland from Missouri, and family and her, or Fanny and her husband left with the Kimball family, and from Missouri they moved on to Illinois. And then sometime in 1839, Fanny's husband, Roswell, died. Yeah, and it says, Helen Moore wrote, while visiting his children in the East, he was taken sick, and before he died, he expressed his regret for not having obeyed the gospel. So obviously he didn't believe in Mormonism. Guess not. Um, but Fanny loved her husband, and so um, even though he wasn't a believer in the Mormon faith, and so the death would have been a great blow to her, obviously. Sure. He was only 69 years old, and she was 52 at that time. And shortly after that, her father, Joseph Young, died. So she lost both her husband and her father in a very short period of time. And there's not very much known about Fan Fanny for the next few years after these two events. 
Her marriage to Joseph Smith, however, possibly his last plural marriage, shows how casual and unromantic polygamy could be. Uh, one day in November of 1843, Fanny and Brigham and Joseph Smith were, I guess, sitting in the backyard <laughs> discussing exaltation and celestial marriage, and Fanny gave her opinion on this subject. Yeah, I guess Brigham tells this story. Now, don't talk to me when I get into the celestial kingdom, if I ever do get there, I shall request the privilege of being a ministering angel. That is the labor that I wish to perform. I don't want any companion in that world. And if the Lord will make me a ministering angel, it is all I want. Smith replied, Sister, you talk very foolishly. You do not know what you want. He turned to her brother. Here, Brig Brother Brigham, you seal this lady to me. <laughs> And so I guess so. Did. Fanny changed her mind very quickly, and she married Joseph Smith on the spot. And Brigham Young uh, performed the ceremony, and, he, and he, his wife was there, plus two other women were there who who stood as witnesses. And and Brigham Young married the two of them together, and and then. <laughs> That's one of the witnesses, uh, who was Augusta Adams Cobb, wanted to get married too at the same time. So she married Brigham Young as a plural wife oh at the same time. So it's, it's just romancing in those early polygamous lifestyle and even in today's lifestyles just wasn't much there. And by the way, humans do not become angels. She said she wanted to become a ministering angel. Right. Right. Humans do not become angels, and angels do not become humans. They are totally different level of creation that God has made. Um, and so she didn't get to become an angel at any rate. <laughs> well, uh, Fanny was 56 years old. And Joseph Smith was 38 years old. Now, many people believe that this was merely a dynastic marriage, which would link Brigham Young and Joseph Smith eternally and also increase Fanny's chances for a complete salvation. Now, I read often in early Mormon speeches and even in sometimes in today's sermonizing that Mormonism offers a complete or a full salvation. But there's no such thing <laughs> as a complete or full salvation. There is salvation and then there's condemnation, but there's no in-between and certainly no partial or incomplete salvation and no eternal progression Mormon style. <laughs> Did you learn that when you were in the Mormon church, that you got a full salvation or an incomplete well, salvation? Well, salvation or? often referred to just resurrection. And then the rest of it was a working toward either failing and ending up in the terrestrial or telestial kingdom, or if you were successful and did all you were supposed to, you get to the celestial kingdom. So that would be full salvation, the that celestial be, kingdom, probably. Yeah, we wouldn't ever call it that, I don't think. That'd be exaltation, but yeah. uh, salvation was more... In our term, I think in the terminology, more about uh, being resurrected. Yeah, they use the word uh, full salvation quite frequently in some of these early in Mormon the early... talks. Yeah. Anyway, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, just a few minutes after, or a few months after that happened, after she married him in June of 1844, Joseph Smith was killed at Carthage, and Fanny was widowed again for the third time and also for the final time. She left for Utah in the summer of 1850 and got very sick on the journey and was plagued with ill health for the rest of her life. When Brigham Young completed the Lion House in Salt Lake in 1856, 
Fanny was 69 years old, and Brigham, her little brother, <laughs> offered her a room in the Lion House where she could live there for the rest of, of her life if she desired, and she did for many of those years. In October of 1856, Fanny had two friends who came to her and wanted to discuss her memories with her and to record her story, but she said her memories were too painful to talk about. Yeah, really unhappy lives, really. They were, they? weren't they? Yeah, just sad. And speaking of her history, she said she had been alone a good deal through life, and she did not wish to have a history of her life published. She did not wish anyone to have her likeness, neither after she was dead. Now, I'm not sure, sure what, <laughs> what she, she meant, meant by, by having her likeness after she was dead, um, but it does seem as though Fanny was depressed by her life's loneliness, and she wanted her memory obliterated from history. Now, from our standpoint in time, yeah. that would not be possible no. to obliterate her memory from history. There's just too much that went on with the, the hierarchy and Mormonism right. and the plural wives and everything for that to have happened. Brigham Young's daughter described Fanny in the Lion House as a pathetic picture of an older woman suffering a nervous condition, complaining about her ills, she was prone to bemoan her condition with great insistency, she said. Hmm. Well, as it turned out, there was good reason for her complaints. Fanny died June 11, 1859, at 71 years old in great pain because she had been suffering from cancer all those oh, years. And they didn't have modern day yeah. treatments or medication, you They'd know, been for probably that. diagnosing it would have been. Yeah. yeah. There would have been several of Joseph Smith's widows at her funeral, of course, and we know that many of his widows had also married her brother, Brigham Young. Right. Uh, and, of course, again, strange family relationships. Fam Fanny Young was the last plural wife of Joseph Smith, uh, and she had passed on into the next life. Not to live eternally with Joseph Smith as anticipated, but to face Jesus Christ and to answer God's question, which was not, did you live polygamy faithfully and follow Joseph Smith loyalty, loyally? But the question would have been, what did you do with Jesus? Yeah. Not, were you a faithful Mormon or polygamist? There's going to be a rude shock for many who die believing in following Joseph Smith. And of course, they'll find out differently there I when totally they could have agree. found out here. Yeah. And that completes the stories of Joseph Smith's 33 plural wives, documented plural wives. Now, according to many historical records, he possibly had even more wives than these 33. Yeah. Uh, but they're not included, and we, we don't include them because there's not enough details, documentation, to be sure that they actually were his plural wives. Actually, there are eight additional women that Todd Compton names as possible wives. Uh, there were ages 24 to 57 years old, and if they were his wives, Joseph Smith would have accumulated over 40 plural wives, but he is now existing in eternity with none of them. Now, I think even on the LDS.org webpage, they mention that he said that Joseph Smith probably had somewhere between uh, 33 and 40 plural wives. Yeah, Don't they say it, that? It does. It's in the essays. So, so the, 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 so the LDS that. church itself believes that he possibly could have had, could have had more. more than these documented 33. Right. Certainly many sealed to them, but uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. So we'll have to start on somebody else's plural wives next. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Not 
time. Your wife's glad to hear that one. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Earl. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, people chide us when they say things like Joseph or, or Jesus himself was a product of polygamy. What's your problem? Well, yeah, he was, but that's not relevant to our argument against polygamy. First, Old Testament polygamy was never a command of God. Secondly, frequently, Old Testament polygamy took place when a legal wife was unable to have children. Third, no Old Testament polygamists ever forced or threatened young girls into polygamy to earn eternal life or as a prerequisite to salvation. Fourth, no Old Testament polygamist believed or taught that he would become a god of his own world and his women would be his goddesses. And fifth, and probably most important, is that polygamists Abraham and Jacob are in Jesus' genealogy, but Jesus' heritage is from his, their first wives, not their plural wives. Polygamy was man's idea, not God's. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.